0: Hey listeners, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas day yesterday, so we're recording this for the day after all the uh, wrapping paper and all those kinds of crazy things got strewn about, so I hope it was a wonderful Christmas for you, but Trent and I are glad to be with you today to talk to you about something really important. It's about switching horses. Trent, I'm a city boy. I have no idea what you're talking about here.
1: (laughs) Yeah the idea you can't ride two horses your butt will only fit on one saddle uh and so you know alan and i are constantly doing research about issues that affect churches and so we came across an article uh, by lifeway research uh, by a gentleman named aaron earls and uh, he had a really interesting uh, article about church switchers those people who um, changed churches and you know it used to be a generation or two ago where you know you grew up in a church and you were in that church mostly because you lived in the same community your whole life but that's not the case anymore um and that that's one of those things that does affect um churches and, and choosing which church that you're going to be a part of and so today we want to talk through a little bit of Aaron Earl's uh, article and and maybe give you our thoughts on some of those points
0: yeah so I think the first thing that just kind of kind of comes out is a lot of people move Mm -hmm. and moving is still the number one reason that people switch churches is because they they've moved and what happens oftentimes is that people don't engage quickly in a church they they tend to kind of fall away from the church so it's really important wherever your church is, to be mindful of people who are moving and in that moving time. And let's not, as we talk through some of these other issues, let's not lose sight of that. That's still the number one reason that people move from church to church.
1: Well, and, and keep in mind that just like people don't typically work for the same company their entire adult lives, um, people attend more than one church. Uh, Well, Aaron says 53% of people have attended more than one church as an adult. And so moving is definitely a big part of that. And so I guess I would say to churches that it it would be good for you and you can get uh, resources that tell you who has moved into the community every year and, and get some addresses and be able to connect with those people and invite them to your church, Um, you know, you can do a direct mailing piece. Uh, There's all kinds of things or bulk mailing pieces that to where it's not all that expensive, but you can make an initial contact with those people who have just moved into your community.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of reasons that people move from church to church. Again, the number one reasons that they move, but there are other reasons, and those are just kind of the ones that we wanna focus in on in our conversation today. But I do find it was, Pretty amazing. You know, 63% of people reported that they've been to at least two churches um, in their adult life. But 22%, so just more than one in five, between one and five, one and four, one and five, have been to four or more um, mm. congregations in, in their adult life. So that's a lot of moving around. That's a lot of shifting back and forth. And we talk sometimes about this thing of a shuffling sheeple. You know, I have conversations in, in, a, in a, one community where I've got several pastors and they make phone calls and they can tell. I There are a couple of people that have been a member of every single one of those churches and gotten mad at every single one of those churches and left every single one of those churches. So it's not uncommon. We see that far too often. But if you think about those numbers, imagine one in four of your people going around to four or five different churches that could make your head spin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember, Alan, when I was pastoring and I there was a family in our community that was well known and they were upset at their church and they were leaving the church they were part of. And, and I had people in my church come to me and say, hey, we need to go get so and so and have them come join our church. And my immediate response was no way. I mean, that's the last thing I need is somebody who's already upset coming to my church and being upset, too. So uh, it's like, no way. Uh, and, but there's a lot of that, uh, you know, and as I, I got to say, as I was reading through this article, Alan, that it just kept coming up to me again and again and again, how much of our culture is built on personal preference. And that and, and unfortunately, it bleeds into our church Attendance and church membership is all about personal
0: preference. Yeah, we can't go too hard to talk about that because we see it over and over and over again. You know, what is the alluring thing? Well, I, I want to have what I want. So, mm-hmm. you know, a family visits a church. Well, you know, the really big church, you know, down the street has all these kids' activities. They have a climbing wall for the kids. So we're going to go to church there because they have a climbing wall. It really it's not based on well, this is a the curriculum they're using, or this is what they're getting out of it. It's that they, they have the resources. And, you know, just having resources doesn't make for a more spiritual church in and of itself. So, we, you know, we have all these struggles that we, we're working to balance. And I see the frustration in many churches too. If you don't have kids, for instance, well, how do you get kids? So that families will come and, and, and want to connect. I think there's some things you can do to communicate those things, but it's hard and it takes a lot of hard work and you're you're not going to win a lot lot of those conversations. So you you have to recognize that people are oftentimes going to choose the easy preference over the harder journey. Well, and
1: one of the things I just thought of, Alan, and I experienced this was um, we had an amazing youth ministry in one of the churches that I pastored in. Um, but I remember having a conversation with a dad who was telling me that they were going to change churches because his daughter's boyfriend went to another church. And so they were going to go there. And I I just looked at him like, you've got to be kidding me. That And because I can tell you, your daughter's going to break up with this guy within the year. And so then what do you do then? You go to the next church that she has a boyfriend in uh even if he even attends a church so there's all kinds of crazy things that can affect people's uh their thought process um <clears throat> one of the things i i highlighted in this article that we're looking at is that um, 2 and 5 or 39% say the church's teachings on political and social intu- issues changed in ways they didn't agree with. So Alan, how does preaching on politics affect your church?
0: Yeah, I think most people don't want to hear us get get political um in our preaching. Now that's not universally true. I think some churches thrive on, on preaching politics in the pulpit, but that's really not our calling. That's not our that's not our lane. Though there are political ramifications to what we do, I think what we do is we treat, teach a Christian worldview, a Christian perspective that allows for people to draw their own conclusions. And we need to be comfortable in letting the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit in in those political issues. Um, so you know we can teach and preach what we're going to teach, but let's also be honest: there are people who are flirting with with a, a world view. Is that is at odds with scripture and some of them want to go find a church that will sugarcoat the gospel so they can water down their worldview and sometimes you have to just let those people go. So it's probably a combination of of both sides of that argument, you know, a little bit of maybe the church is getting too politically motivated and not enough biblically motivated, but then I think there's some people who don't have enough biblical motivation to overcome their worldview. So maybe it's a little bit of give and take on both sides of that for people.
1: Right. And you know, I want to warn you against, you know, coming out and preaching for a candidate. Uh, because you, you can't win on that deal. And just as Alan said, our job is not to promote a candidate, but to promote truth of what scripture says in that biblical worldview. Uh, And so, man, I I know, and there's gonna be people in your church that say, how come you're not saying we should vote for so-and-so? Well, you know, that that person is not as great as you probably think he is. Um, You have flawed people. And there's some people that I would love to say, man, I wish they would run for state office or federal office or the president even. But then, man, I also, I wouldn't wish the the crud that they have to go through to get that office. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So uh, I, I think it's a mistake to to preach for a candidate over another candidate.
0: Yeah, you can get into a lot of issues. It's just a it's just a wormhole that's not worth going down. I, in my mind, I don't think that's where our priority is supposed to be. But, you know, I was drawn to that part where it talks about, you know, one in four of the church switchers more than that. You know, said that something changed about the church they didn't like, or that it was not um, fulfilling or meeting their needs, that preference idea, or they became disenchanted with the pastor. One in four somehow became disenchanted with their pastor, or disenchanted with the church somehow. And later they used the term hypocrisy to describe that, that, that people feel. Um, you know there's a lot of hypocrisy in that so there was a time when i was early in ministry that if i told people i was a pastor there was this reverence for for what i did um if i tell people i'm a pastor now i almost don't know how they're going to look at me or or how they're going to accept it um because uh, not everyone has a warm fuzzy feeling for pastors because a lot of pastors make the news for a lot of bad stuff you know so you know, how do we how do we deal with that
1: well it, you know that's why we do this podcast and spend so much time encouraging pastors to um, to grow just like we did in our last episode and talk about how a pastor can gift his church and we've mentioned several things like growing in your communication ability but also growing in in theology and and growing in the depth of your theology uh, because we've seen guys who either couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag, or they were constantly changing and, and weren't consistent because they weren't based on the Word of God. Uh, those, you know, those are important things that that pastors need to grow in. And it's understandable sometimes when people in these churches are like, eh, "That ain't right," you know, if somebody's not preaching the truth of God's Word and just preaching on social issues. Man, I'd be out of there in a hurry too.
0: Yeah, so you can kind of run into that. There's a lot of reasons that people can become disenchanted with the pastor. You know, when a church loses a pastor for, let's say, moral failure, um, that church is going to lose a lot of people. I mean, there's just no two ways around it. They feel like they've been lied to. Um, that someone was uh, preaching a lie, living a lie, and so they become disenchanted. And so the most people, many of them, go. And those are one of those situations too, where you almost don't blame them, right? I mean, you know, things have been going on. It could be because of false teaching. It could be style of preaching. People people just don't respond to a change in preaching style sometimes, and that can be hard for a church to deal with. So there's a lot of those things that kind of roll into to um, some of those things. So there's there's a lot, you know, are we're, we're still, sadly, have pastors blaming COVID for losing people. Mm-hmm. Um, but but churches really did. They, they said 13% of people um, switched congregations uh, during COVID. Uh, you know, So that 13%, they're not coming back. And there's probably another 10, 10% who just gave up on church during COVID because they didn't have to go and they fell in love with the, the Sunday morning brunch that they they had or whatever. You know, so those folks aren't coming back. I think it's time to move on and recognize that we can talk about COVID and its impact. Um, but there's no one coming back from COVID anymore.
1: Oh, no, I agree. You know, I was with a group of people just last week and they were talking about how, you know, COVID, these people left COVID and 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 I just turned to them and I said, when is it that we can stop blaming things on COVID. Uh, You know, if they didn't get sick and are homebound or died, then there's, COVID is not the reason. There's got to be something else. Um, And so there's, you know, COVID became the opportunity. Uh, We as a church make it the excuse, but it was the opportunity for those people who wanted to leave maybe switch churches to begin with, but they were just afraid to step out and do it. And then COVID just gave them the opportunity to do it without um, having to confront people in the church they they were part of. Um, and I think that happened a lot. You know, there were people that felt stuck. Maybe there were ministry leaders or or even teachers, Sunday school teachers, but they, were, they wanted to move um, and COVID just gave them the opportunity.
0: Yeah, so the, I, again, they're just not coming back. Get over it, move on. If you're still struggling with that or you're still using that, stop. It's just, it's, they're not coming back. Go, go go, go into the highways and byways and look for a new group of people. It's just time, time for you to do that. You know, it, it talked about the un- unfulfilled needs in here, but one of the things that some of the people who were disenchanted are saying is, is that they... They weren't developing spiritually. So they wanted to go somewhere that they could develop uh, uh, spiritually. So if our goal is to make disciples and the perception or the reality is, is that a church isn't developing a discipleship process, it's not surprising that people would wanna go somewhere that is actually doing what the church is supposed to do, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I think there is a need uh, for those people who are true followers of Jesus Christ there is going to be the push and the prompting of the holy spirit that wants us to go deeper that wants us to grow in that relationship with Christ that wants us to to know more about uh you know what scripture says and and I can't as a pastor preach that people ought to be witnessing and sharing their faith if I'm not in the same breath saying this is how you do it you know, I've got to be able to disciple people. And, you know, our Sunday school has got to be, and we talked about this not too long ago, how our Sunday school has got to be more than a place that where you just read through the quarterly or the whatever you use. It's got to be a discipleship place where people go deep and ask the hard questions and learn hard things that are in scripture and apply them to their lives. So uh, it's kind of a both end. you know, it's, some people don't want to go deep, uh, but then sometimes churches and in, in their leadership don't want and don't want to put the effort in to help people go deep.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You've Got on some really good topics there with that. So this idea that we need to go deeper and that's not about spoon feeding your congregation, but it's about providing opportunities and a pathway that puts someone on it, on their own personal development, on their own spiritual growth. It's not about creating a program, but a pathway. And I think that's a more healthy way for us to think about the discipleship process, is this pathway over program. But, you know, Trent, pastoral problems, we come back to that one, because that was a big deal. I think it's interesting that it says that, you know, um, of the 27% that said pastoral problems led them to go elsewhere. Uh, 36% said the pastor is hypocritical. 33% said the pastor was not a good fit um, or or not a good preacher. About a third said that he seemed judgmental of others or insincere. And then a quarter of them said that there was uh, an ethical or moral failure involved. And then, of course, a lack of purpose and vision also um, was up there as well. That's a lot of reasons. There's a lot to unpack there. Is it possible that in these cases, um, that what is a church member supposed to do when they feel like their pastor isn't leading well or leading in the right direction? What are they supposed to do?
1: Well, yeah. And especially if they don't feel like that they have any voice uh, in the congregation or if they the pastor's not willing to hear them. Uh, and a lot of people just really avoid conflict in that so that there may not, you know people may not feel like they have the opportunity to speak into the lives of the, those people on a search committee or uh, or to the new pastor. But I'll tell you, you know right off the top, anytime you have a pastor change, you're going to have a loss of people but you're also going to have some people that come back because they're curious (laughs) it's kind of like onlookers at a car wreck right Uh, that you know people are going to come back to see what the new pastors like and so you're going to have a switch and a change in people anytime there's a pastoral change but when you mention and you bring into the equation a moral failure There needs to be some work with that pastor, whether that people decide for him to leave or if there's some redemptive effort to happen there. Um, You know, and so it it really is like, okay, do I stay and help this church work through this or do I wash my hands of this and move on to a different place that's safer and healthier?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it boils down to, you know, what your perception is. If you're in that mindset that feels that the pastorship are critical, you're probably less likely, I think, to see that one through. Whereas if, uh, you know, well, he's not a very good preacher, pray for him, encourage Mm -hmm. him, you know, equip him, send him to a conference on preaching, um, you know, find, find a mentor for him. There's a lot of things I think you could maybe say, I'm gonna dig in and try to help out my church in this area. But I think if you your pastor crosses a line where you don't trust them, I think it's probably gonna be really hard for you to stay in the long haul. And if you do stay, you're you could maybe become a problem and you don't want to be a problem church member. And so in some cases it's probably better to go. But there's a good way and a healthy way to leave when you leave a church too. And that's where many people make their mistake. And you know, sit down and have a conversation. We feel that it's time for us to go elsewhere, that God is is moving in our lives and it's time for us to make a change and you don't have to say much more than that but communicate it be honest and upfront about it and if they ask for specific reasons i mean be honest and in bold and tell the truth so uh, that's just what what you need to do but um, make sure that you do that um, in, the, in the right way what what else stuck out to you trent
1: one of the things that that um, you had highlighted as we looked through this article was the fact that uh, church switchers are more likely to say that their current church is the same size as their previous church. And I, I like you, thought that was interesting because it's, it's thought that many times people in the church that's been left as, well, they just went to that bigger church. And that's not always the case,
0: is it? No, I mean, it was kind of interesting. So 27% are likely to go to a larger church. 17% are likely to go to a smaller church. That leaves a lot of room in the middle for people to stay in a church. that's basically relatively the size of the current church. I'll be honest, that one floored me. I would have expected it had been like 50, 50 plus percent that went to a larger church. And that is simply not the case. Uh, We are back in a day of I think the neighborhood church, I think people want to go to a church where they, they can know everyone and they can be known by everyone. Um, so even though that they're likely to end up at a church with more than 250 in worship, according to the stats, it's not, it's not an overwhelmingly huge change. So uh, I just, that is a really interesting dynamic. I don't even have a great answer apart from, I think, the day of maybe the megachurches isn't what it used to be.
1: Yeah, that seems to be the case in statistics that, um, you know, what you said about a more um, neighborhood church, because I think people want to have a reason, not only for church, but they're looking for a way to get to know their neighbors. Um, It used to be, especially with apartment living, and you and I dealt with some of that, that people didn't even know the people that were below or above them or beside them. And I think that, especially younger generations, are, are wanting those connections. And so having a local body, uh, you know, people are driving less, I think, maybe to go to some of those uh, churches and to be part of a, a church family.
0: Yeah, I think that one was really surprising. So that's one where I'm like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. And that's what good statistics do, good research does um sometimes you may have a a belief that something is one way but the statistics show that it's it's something else and so i have to maybe correct some of my thinking uh with that one and here's here's one that i probably didn't have to correct my thinking on because it's it's exactly what i would think it says that half of the church switchers say that their previous church had a traditional style of worship and only about a third of them say that they're that say that about their new congregation so most of the people who are switching are choosing a church with a more modern-ish style of worship. So Trent, you're you're a good singer. You and Dana um, are in a lot of churches, and you use your talents in a lot of variety of ways. Does that one surprise you?
1: Not really. I, I'm kind of like you. It's like well, it makes sense because everyone we talk to, they they like. Well, first of all, more people are exposed to. Um, Christian music on the radio on a daily basis, or on their phones, or, you know, things like that. And so they like to go to a place that they're, you know, singing those songs that they're familiar with, and then maybe they learn a song in church, and then bang, they hear it on the radio. And so it's a continuation of worship. And I think that's a big part of that is it's not just well, we do these hymns in church, but I never think of those or never sing those outside of church when a more contemporary style is more continual. You've got a, a week long of worship instead of one hour.
0: Yeah, I think this one really plays into some of our uh, smaller rural churches, maybe more so than some of our others. Um, I'm in a lot of small world churches and almost all of them have a very traditional style of worship and some of them dogmatically so some of them because they just wouldn't know how to do it any other way Mm -hmm. and don't have a capacity to do it any other way. Um, But some of them are very rigid in that and don't want to consider anything else. And then they're like, well, we don't have any kids. Well, you're not doing anything that the kids relate to, to in their minds. Everything's done for. For people that have never given them any thought, so at least think about it. At least know what's out there and acknowledge what's out there. And if you can't do it, be honest about it and just say, "Well, it's just not what we're able to do. This is what we're able to do." I think people are more gracious in this area if we'll talk about it and not just cover it up or or hide from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in most of our churches and our super small churches, they don't have a guitarist. You know that they they don't have they don't have an ensemble. You know they're 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 lucky to find someone who can stay on key. You know they've got a bunch yeah. of me, me's out there that, that aren't necessarily musically gifted. So I I think that this is something that especially our rural churches I think you should hear this and, and at least acknowledge that there is a truth that the day has come where you know worship songs are are, like you said Trent, are more familiar from the radio and that people who didn't grow up with with traditional worship and that's a lot of people now um they don't they don't know the hymns and they're not thinking about the hymns and they're not singing the hymns even though there's a richness to them we can all acknowledge that um but you need to recognize the power to of modern worship. So it's a, it's a both and in there, at least yeah. know why you do what you do.
1: Right, well, and you know, I've been encouraged, Alan, that uh, as I'm in a lot of tiny churches, that they're making the effort to include um, some modern worship songs. And it's so possible because of technology um, to um, show a video Uh, from YouTube of a worship song, you know, and you don't have to have the instrumentalist uh, to lead that. It can be just a video of people joining along. And, you know, I think that it becomes a teaching opportunity for you to, you know, if you're a pastor or a music leader, to be able to say, hey, this is what this song, I want you to think about the words of this worship song. And it becomes an opportunity to, to add to a sermon or add to people's debt. Another thing I want you to think of, because you mentioned kids, Alan, is that we send our kids and our youth to a camp. And during that camp, the only thing that they sing is modern worship stuff, uh, modern choruses, things like that. And they get into it, but then they come back to a church that's all hymns. They're like, well, this is it anything like i experienced at camp i heard that phrase so many times over the years that you know kids would go to falls creek or a big camp and they'd have an incredible worship experience but then they the church has nothing to offer them that's even close to what they've experienced
0: yeah that's a great point you know paying attention to what where our kids are and you know i heard something a long time ago that the average church um does worship based for some based on someone who's probably around 40 years old Mm -hmm. and that the musical style typically represents the median age in the church Um, and in many churches today that's somewhere around 40 years old but you get out to some of our churches where the average age is in the 50s 60s 70s 70s um guess what that's going to be kind of where your preference falls so if you want to be intentional about lowering the age in your church and worship plays a role it's not the biggest role but it plays a role and you need to think about lowering that age down and in how you kind of kind of do that so um, some things to think about now there is some good news in here and another surprising thing i found was that people who switch churches where i would have thought oh they went to a church where they didn't have to plug in and they could disengage The research says they're actually more engaged in their new church than they were in their former church.
1: Well, could it be that they were looking for a way to be involved all along, but their previous church never gave them that opportunity? Um, And I think, you know, in order to keep people, you have to offer them almost immediately an opportunity to serve. I've said that a lot of times to a lot of folks, and I think it's so true. You know, when somebody visits, you know, more than a couple of times, invite them. They may not even be members yet, but you can still invite them to be involved in some part of the ministry, and then they're more likely to develop some friendships, some ties, some uh, you know, that closeness with people that will keep them there.
0: Yeah, we say it all the time, relationships matter, and building relationships, getting people involved in a small group. Uh, if you're not working hard to get people involved in a small group where they can connect with others and you're not taking those steps to build relationships and offering your church places of service and, and, and service opportunity, then it's going to fall flat. So make sure that, that you're doing that. So, Tran, overall, I'd say it's a really fascinating article. We're going to put a link to it in our notes. We want you to be able to read it. I'm certainly grateful for the research that went into this, and it gives us a lot of great things to talk about.
1: Yeah, it was a very good article. And, you know, again, this depending on where you're at and where you're serving as a pastor or if you're a lay person who's hearing this, our goal is not to make you discouraged or make you give up. Our goal is to give you a broader sense of knowledge so that you can know how better to minister, because we do want you to endure. We want you to endure as a pastor and we want your church to endure and unfortunately sometimes that there are cases where neither one of those happens but we want to give you all the information we can in order to help you be equipped to endure so we appreciate very much that you've taken time to listen to us today um, as always we want to help you to do the best possible job you can uh, Alan and I we don't have all the answers but we sure do enjoy encouraging you And if there's a topic that you would like to hear about, I hope that you'll contact us. We also hope that you'll share this and and give us a positive feedback uh, in places where you download podcasts. So thank you again for listening today. God bless you. And we'll look forward to talking to you in the new year.